and welcome to the Free Like Me podcast by FLM. This podcast aims to help people like you navigate the world of financial planning. We'll be delving into things that we and our clients care about, talking about hot topics and inviting you to get to know our team a little bit better. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Free Like Me podcast. My name is Ben Smith, and I am delighted to be hosting a podcast about financial freedom at a time when actually we're all getting a little bit more freedom back in our own lives. Uh, Me and a few of my colleagues were joking the other day, saying that it was pretty ironic that we decided to launch this podcast all about financial freedom at a time where not many of us have had much freedom in general over the last 12 months. So this is as good of any time as we hopefully exit the back of of what's been a fairly tough 12 months for everyone to really give yourself some clarity and help plan for financial freedom with your money. Today, we are talking about the complicated world of company share schemes. Now, you may be listening to this as someone who has heard terms such as vesting, ESPPs, grant dates, and countless other financial jargon which is common speak when it comes to company share schemes. If this is you and you're feeling a little bit in a little bit of a muddle, then you are absolutely in the right place. As today, I am joined by two superb guests who can help us unpack all of this and give you some tools to ensure you gain that clarity and plan more effectively in the future. So my first guest is my good friend and colleague, Jessica Griswood. Jess has had a pretty mental 12 months where she has managed to move to the Burbs, buy a Peloton bike, get married, all during a global pandemic. Jess was once nicknamed Gail Platt due to the effect that humidity had on her hair whilst on holiday in Vietnam. Gail, how are you and how's the Peloton? Yeah, all good. It was a very Monica moment from Friends, that that holiday, if you recall, but... um. <laughs> Yeah, when you've summarised my past year, it sounds like I've actually fitted in quite quite a bit when everyone else has been has been locked down. But yeah, all good. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, well, I'm I'm impressed because you even managed to have some guests at your wedding as well, which was pretty good. Good. Uh, yeah, we good did. We did. We had thirty guests. I mean, it was a bit of a um, change from what we'd originally planned. We were originally planning to get married in the south of France. And um, quite quickly realised that that wasn't going to happen. So in the end, myself and my now husband ended up planning our wedding within two weeks. So I think that was quite a challenge. But do you know what? I wouldn't have had it any other way. Well, as someone who's trying to plan a wedding this year, um, you've definitely given me uh, lots of food for thought. (laughs) My second guest is James Roger Palmer. He's an identical twin. He is both a qualified tax advisor and a qualified financial planner. So he's the kind of guy you really want to avoid at a dinner party. But despite all of this, he actually is a pretty decent guy who recently quit the hustle and bustle of Shoreditch to head to leafy southwest London. James, how's the new area treating you? Thanks, Ben. And yeah, thanks for throwing Roger in there. I've not had that in a while. Um, yeah, south, southwest London's good. Um, Greener than Shoreditch. It's nice to mix up with the scenery than just the square mile of the city. So yeah, really enjoying it. Did you have to shave your beard as well, or was that that part and parcel of um, being in, being in Shoreditch and hasn't transitioned to Southwest London? It has definitely transitioned down to Southwest London. I do get some strange looks here, but no, I'm definitely definitely keeping a beard. 
<laughs> Good going. Right. Well, look, we've got lots to cover today and um, I want to get straight into it. So coming over to you first, Jess. Yeah. Why are share schemes such an important topic for us to cover on this podcast? I think mainly, I mean, we've all seen a lot of change recently in our lives, but I think increasingly as a tax advisor, you know, companies are remunerating their staff in different ways, share schemes being part of that. And I think, you know, in the old days and in inverted commas, you know, you just did your nine to five, you got your paycheck and you went home with that. Whereas nowadays, you know, companies are competitive and especially in certain industries and you know once you've got your skill set you can easily move around to different companies and you know provide the same services and employees so I think um, we're definitely seeing an increase in in companies enrolling their staff in employee share schemes and company schemes to to reward them it's another way of of remunerating your staff but also it encourages loyalty to the company that you're working for you know, and, and, and obviously longevity, because a lot of these schemes, as we'll discuss in a bit more detail, don't just, you know, you don't just get this, the, the share straight away, they last over and they vest over a certain period of time. So it encourages you to stay within one company. Yeah, I was going to add to that. Um, share schemes are really popular out in the States. And as Jess said, they're becoming more and more popular here in the UK, mainly for US, I guess, based companies, but UK employees are also benefiting from and share schemes are an absolute minefield. I've, I've worked in sort of the world of tax and finance for the last eight years and still come across schemes where things confuse me. And employees are enrolled into these schemes and the employee, and in most cases the employer, have no idea what the implications are. So really important for people to take advice when enrolled in schemes because there are so many implications it can cause and a fantastic opportunity for you to plan and I guess secure your, your wealth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just actually a point on that, James, you're completely right, because a lot of these schemes are US-based schemes. And the first sort of tip I would give to anybody that is enrolled in one of these employee share schemes, if it's an American scheme, a lot of the time, there's going to be a lot of resource available to you from your employer surrounding the ins and outs of the scheme, how it works, and they'll give you, you know, a really flash presentation. Um, and, you know, you can log into your particular broker platform and, and download a load of information. But I would definitely bear in mind a lot of that information is going to be specific to US tax rules. So that's something I find quite a lot. You know, understandably, our clients want to understand in as much depth as possible about their own scheme, which is only natural. But what I tend to find is people have spent a lot of time and energy researching their scheme. And then I, they'll have a conversation with sort of say to them, do you know what, all of this is completely irrelevant, because it's actually applicable to the US and the UK rules are quite different. So all I would say is it's, you know, every scheme is different. And it really is, you know, a great thing to do is just to ask for a bit of advice from from people like us who are kind of specialist in, in looking at these specific schemes. Yeah, and I think that's that's really um, a good introduction. And you guys mentioned the, the tech space, which I think is becoming increasingly uh, prominent in the UK. And and we obviously find lots of clients part of these huge tech companies. And um, every share scheme is different. And I know both of you have done lots of webinars with with many different companies out there, looking at these share schemes and, and going into them in a bit more detail. And I guess. From a from a individual's perspective, the rest of their pay might be fairly straightforward. If they have a salary and and a cash bonus, um, it's 
fairly easy to understand from a text perspective. But share schemes seem to to throw out a whole host of of other jargon terms that we we often see, and I guess complexity to to an individual circumstances. So, what are some of the key problems when it comes to share schemes, then, Jess? I would say, so actually you just triggered my brain to to talk about something else as well. So I would say the main thing is, as you say, like a salary that you get monthly and you know what it's going to be every month, share schemes and your shares vest at different times. um, And that can be monthly, every quarter, annually, um, and over a period of, you know, one to 10 years. So it's not something that's, you know, guaranteed or regular. And I would say the first thing is obviously being mindful of your vesting period, because again, we can go into this in more detail, but there are different tax points when you acquire these shares. And again, I can, I can go, we'll touch on this a bit further into the podcast. So I would say problem number one is just be more, you know, be mindful and be aware of your vesting schedule and know what's going to come through. So you kind of have a bit of a, you can plan ahead to what you've got coming into your vicinity, if you like. Um, And with that, obviously, this is, you know, again, a bit more of an in-depth and technical thing, which I don't want to get too in-depth into, um, but it can affect your tax code. So I'm sure you guys will all have received tax codes of yourselves in the past, opened it up from the revenue and thought, what on earth is this? It's in a different code, probably torn it up and thrown it in the bin. Um, But your tax code is so important because it tells your employer from HMRC what tax to deduct each month. One of the biggest problems we kind of find is when you have a share vesting or indeed like a bonus or anything that's out of the norm of your normal salary, it can throw your tax code out because, you know, from from your payroll department, they've seen a huge peak in income that you're going to get that month. And it can take a while for us to sort of look at your code, look at your tax overall of what you're going to pay for the whole year and adjust your tax code accordingly. That's one of the areas that we kind of really offer, you know, help and value to our clients because we do that hard work for you. We speak to the revenue so you don't have to, which is an absolute godsend in its in its own right. Um, and we just try and make sure that the whole process of you acquiring your shares and indeed selling them later on is as seamless as possible for you. Yeah, and I guess pay pay codes are one of the most common causes of nasty surprises. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And as I say, I mean, the revenue don't make it particularly easy because as I say, the codes are literally what they are written in code. Um, So I would definitely, you know, seek advice. If you're not sure what your tax code should be, either speak to your payroll department or speak to us, but definitely try and make sure that you're comfortable that it's correct. Because as you say, it can have some quite unexpected implications when you file your self-assessment return at the end of the year. So going back to just quickly why share schemes are so complicated and as Jess quite rightly said each scheme varies there's the same tax implications that apply to every scheme but the logistics behind each scheme vary dramatically from company to company Um, and secondly it's the jargon that's used. I've been working in tax and finance now for, for eight years and it still confuses me sometimes. So your employers, your employees throw these this terminology off the cuff, expecting you to totally understand it when actually most people don't. Um, and if you can get your head around that and what each each word means, then I think there's a better chance you understand the scheme. Yeah, such a good point. And I think that brings me to a section that I just want to quickly run through. So we're going to do a quick 
fire jargon busting round where we just pick out a few of these phrases or acronyms that you might hear with share schemes and um, probably a lot of the time sitting there thinking what the hell is um, this person going on about. So uh, let's quickly go through these. So, so Jess, ESPPs. Okay, so an ESPP stands for Employee Share Purchase Plan and that is essentially where you as an employee pay into, from your salary, you're paying into a pot of money is the, way, the best way I like to think of it. So you contribute from your salary each month into a pot and then within a specific time frame in the year, you can use that pot of money to purchase shares in your company at a pre-agreed price. It's usually at a discount. Um, so on that purchase date, that's when those shares become yours. And that is what an ESPP, Employee Share Purchase Plan, stands for. So a good benefit for the employee potentially. Absolutely. Yeah, especially, as I say, if the shares are offered at a discount, that can be great. And, and you know, we can go into some more detail about the tax implications a bit later, but that is essentially what it means. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right, James. Yeah. Share options. Another great benefit for employees. Share options are basically the promise to buy shares at a discounted value in the future. So great incentive because employees get to buy shares at a discount and it's in the future. So employers benefit from the loyalty of the employee. And obviously those shares, if they've gone up in value, that's where the big, big benefit is, right? Exactly. You you lock in a price, you buy them in four years time with the idea that the share price has gone up and you've bought them at a significant discount. And if they've gone down in value from your pre-agreed price? Gone down in value, again, it depends scheme by scheme. Sometimes you buy the shares at the lower price, other times it's fixed in at, at that price. Okay, um, great. So Jess, RSUs? Um, so RSUs are, stands for restricted stock units. And what a restricted stock unit is, is literally what it says on the tin. It's restricted until a certain point in time. So usually, most commonly, the restriction is a time restriction. So the company will say to you, right, Ben, I'm going to grant you 100 shares and they're going to vest over three years. So your restriction there is time. So you're, you might get 20% in year one, you know, and so on and so forth, going through the, the, the specified time period. Um, restriction doesn't have to be time, it could be performance. So some shares are issued on the basis that you're only going to get them if the company hits a certain target or if you hit a cer- certain target. But an RSU has a restriction in there, and that's specific to your scheme. And, and leading on from that quite nicely, James, um, vesting or, or vesting periods? Yeah, so the vesting period is the period in which you are granted the share until you can exercise the share. And again, I'm aware I'm throwing out some more terminology there. Exercise means when you can legally purchase the share and it legally becomes yours. So often a year, but it can vary. And that's the, I guess, the incentive from the employer to keep you at the company. Great. And then um, tying in with that as well, Jess, the grant date. Yeah. So I'm just going to actually elaborate a little bit more on James's point there. And it kind of ties in with the options. So the best way I tend to think about share schemes, and I think um, it's quite useful to share with you, you know, for clients and employees alike, um, I tend to think of it as like a bit of a three-prong approach. So step one, or the first pillar, if you like, is the grant. And that is where your employer is saying to you, right, I'm going to grant you this amount of shares at this pre-agreed price, or I'm going to grant you 
this amount of share options. Now, I know James touched on shares and share options, but they are two different things. Um, the share is actually you becoming a shareholder in that company. A share option is getting the option to purchase the right to become a shareholder in the future. So you know how I was mentioning a minute ago about RSUs that sort of vest automatically. They automatically make you a shareholder of the company, whereas the option you have to trigger that yourself. Um, so that links in with the, the, what a grant of the share is. So that's the employer saying to you, right, this is your kind of um, your offer. We're going to grant you X amount of shares. And these are the conditions that come with them. Um, it kind of leads on. I mean, uh, this is probably another one of your terminologies. And James touched on this is when those shares then exercise, which is point two or pillar two of the of the whole thing. When those shares exercise, as James said, it's when they legally become yours. And it's important here, and I think this is what most people are concerned about, is at the exercise date, that is where there's an income tax charge. And you're charged income tax on the difference between the value of the share at the grant date and the fair market value of the share when it's exercised or when you legally acquire it is when there's an income tax charge, sometimes national insurance as well. And then finally... If you're looking further ahead in the future, the third pillar is when you come to sell those shares. So you can sell them at any point after you've exercised them. You can either sell them on the same day or obviously if you think that there's, um, you know, potential growth in your company and you want to hold on to those shares for many different reasons, clients do this. You can sell them at a point in the future. And obviously that's when you dispose of them. There's a capital gains tax implication and that's charged on the date you sell your shares from the date that you acquired them or when you exercised them. Fantastic. Lots of good info in there. Um, James, sell to cover then. Jess, that is why you are the tax advisor. Uh, sell to cover is when the company, often on your behalf, sells some, some of your shareholding to cover the income tax liability. And it happens when you acquire or exercise the shares. Same thing. Okay, great. So in, instead of you having to pay a tax bill out of other money, the, the shares are automatically sold to cover that. Yes, exactly. And it often happens without you realising. Um, if you work for a listed company, which a lot of our clients and a lot of our listeners will be, um, your employer is legally obliged to process this through payroll. And more often than not, they will go for the sales cover option. But you may have an option to pay the tax bill out of cash. Great. So hopefully that was a useful section and, and, and some of the jargon explained in a little bit more detail. I think the one thing to note is that there is so much more jargon and, and we probably have to run this podcast for five hours to, to drill down into all of it. Um, but again, it's one of those things, have a basic understanding. And if you're still stuck, then, then definitely speak to uh, a tax advisor, speak to the company, try and find out some information from them as well. Um, but often it falls on you as the employee to, to really make sure you're getting the correct advice. So I think taking a, a step aside from the technical point, I mean, obviously these are a fantastic benefit often for, for employees. And um, Jess, I know you've seen lots of examples of how this can really change someone's financial future. So can, can you give us a quick example of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, some of the schemes have been incredible. Um, you know, as we sort of touched on at the beginning, um, a lot of our clients have pretty modest salaries. You know, that's they've been ticking along, working in this company for 
five years or whatever, however length of time. And then they get this these share vestings that come through, the grants of shares that come through. And as you say, Ben, it can really make a huge impact on somebody's life because if the share price skyrockets or the company starts doing really well and you've got a really substantial, you know, nice nest egg of shares that are going to vest over, you know, as I said, between three and five years, let's say, it can give you a real, um, you know, boost in your in your wealth and, you know, in your, your take-home pay at the end of the day, which obviously comes with its challenges as well because you've got your salary and then you've got this whole other scheme that's going on on the side that you might not know, you know, how to manoeuvre that or what it's going to look like in three and five years. Yeah, I think it's so, so true. And um, you know, there's a great quote by Warren Buffett, which is, if you don't find make a way to make money whilst you sleep, then you'll work until you die. And I love I love that quote because it's basically saying that if you don't invest your money and and find a way to make more money or or buy assets that are going to give you income, then you're going to be reliant on on you continue to earn for the rest of your life. And and shares are one of the best ways to do that. You know that's how Warren Buffett's become the the sixth richest person in the world over the last 60 years. So shares and equity are so, so important to increasing your wealth. And if you get in with the right company, you know, we've seen some fantastic examples of brilliant tech companies over the last 12 months who have really prospered during the pandemic. And people should be making decisions about their future employment based on not just the the salary and the bonus, but what does the share scheme look like? Because it, it can often turn out, and we see this all the time with, with our clients, that the share scheme is where the, the lion's share of their income and, and wealth is created. So really, really important to, to look at that as well. And, and whenever you, you are looking for a, a new job and change of role, it's a great time to speak to a, a financial planner as well, just to, to really look at what's on offer and see how it impacts you longer term. So, James, let's get down to some of the solutions. So, so give me a planning opportunity with share schemes. So when clients are exposed to, to so much wealth within one company's stock, it can become really challenging as to what's the best thing to do and when's the best time to do it. And a phrase I always say to clients is no one has a crystal ball and no one can predict the future. But it is important to make sensible decisions. So clients often are involved in a share scheme and the share price has gone up amazingly over the last month, a couple of months or even years. Um, And sometimes they cross a bridge where it's time to diversify and they want to do that at the optimum point. As I said, no one has a crystal ball and no one knows when, when that optimum point is, but you can make sensible decisions. And there's allowances such as your capital gains allowance, which every individual has every year. And you can look to maximize this, which means you can crystallize some gains and pay minimal capital gains tax. There's other investments you can make as well, such as pension contributions and some more complex schemes, which allows you to claim back some of the income tax you've paid. So there's all of these different vehicles and allowances which you can utilize every year. Okay, so yeah, really useful. Um, and another one that just came to mind, Jess, I'm wondering if you can just explain this one. Um, so so you got married um, last year. Let's say you had some shares. shares. What's your opportunity there with your uh, now husband to, to plan efficiently around those shares? 
Oh, I'm glad you asked that, Ben, because that's the whole reason I got married for tax purposes. <laughs> <laughs> Shrewd advisor, aren't you? Following your own advice. Exactly. No, in, in all seriousness, being married can actually have great tax benefits, especially when it comes to capital gains tax planning. Um, as James sort of said, God, that is so sad, isn't it? Um, as, as James said, every individual gets an annual exemption every year and it resets each year. But what a lot of people don't know is that you can actually transfer your shares ordinarily. It doesn't happen with every scheme, but you know, nine times out of 10, you can actually transfer some shares to your spouse with no capital gains tax implications from the transfer. And then they can sell shares in their name to utilise both of their allowances. Um, so for 2021, for example, the current tax year we're in or about, you know, obviously close quite soon, your annual exemption is £12,300. So both of you get the first £12,300 of capital gains tax free. And you can use, you can sell shares to trans- transfer shares to your spouse to use their annual exemption too, which means that you can sell between you £24,600 worth of, of shares for no, with no capital gains tax implications. Great. So, so super useful. Um, there's, there are other ones you can use in there. So there's there's an ISA allowance, which every individual has each year. You can put shares into an ISA once they're vested and they're yours. Uh, that can mean that future growth and, and any dividends from the company are tax free. Um, and again, if you're, if you're married, you can do that across uh, both spouses. So Lots of opportunities, and, and they're only a couple of the ones um, that we talk to clients about. There's loads I want to cover here. I mean, I'm just just um, thinking of an example. A friend of mine, um, shout out to Guy, he works at a, a large US tech firm, and he recently um, had a load of shares and sold down some of his shares and, and did the capital gains tax calculations himself. I'm wondering... James, whether you've seen that happen before and um, what are the errors that, that people could make if they do these calculations themselves? Yeah, so it's a really good point to raise. The capital gains calculation is a lot more complex than most people think. Um, I speak to so many clients who say, I'm going to sell these 20 shares or my first 20 shares, for example. And that's not how it works. Uh, just to give you a brief overview of how it does work. There's these share matching rules. So firstly, any sale today are matched against shares you may buy today. If you don't buy any shares today, it's matched against shares you buy in the next 30 days. If you don't buy shares in the next 30 days, it's then matched against an average of your historic acquisition. So it's never a case of, I'll choose to sell the first 20 I received. Most cases, it works out as an average of your previous acquisitions. I mean, you've you've completely confused the hell out of me. So um, r- rather you guys doing these calculations than than myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, Jess, any, anything else that you see? I mean, I know you do these calculations all day, every day. So so it, do, do people get these things wrong? Yeah, I mean, I was just actually going to jump on back of what James said there. I think a couple of things is like when you log into your broker account, I mean, I know when... I know what it's like. You can kind of become a bit obsessed with it because that's, you know, that's your nest egg. That's your wealth that's sitting within that scheme. And as James said, it's really easy because you can see the different shares that you've acquired over, you know, sometimes years that, you know, you've got there. And it's really easy to be like, oh, okay, well, I want to receive £10,000, right? I'm going to sell these shares that I only received last year. So I think my gain's going to be X, Y, and Z. But as James said, it is a little bit more complicated than that because your cost is pulled. So I think what I would just say is that 
it's just definitely worth having that conversation just to understand are you making the most out of what you're selling? Could you potentially sell a little bit more? Are you utilizing all those allowances? We touched on obviously the annual exemption using your spouse's allowance. It's just, it's not always as black and white as just picking your particular, you know, share or RSU and, and selling that down. Yeah, it's so complicated. And I, I, you know, I know people who are, who are financial planners like myself, and you know, they still need a great tax advisor like yourself, Jess, to, to help them do these calculations. So and it leads me really nicely on to making sure you have the correct advice, both from a financial planning or, or wealth management, whatever you want to, to call us, um, side of the fence and a tax advisory or accountant um, that might be working with you also. So at FLM, we have those two hats under one roof. And, and that's where Jess and, and myself would work together with a client to make sure that everything we do on the investment and financial planning side is marrying up with everything that Jess does on their tax return and also the ongoing tax planning around any share schemes and, and other things that you might have going on. You know, you might have properties, you might have um, kids allowances that you're using. There's so much that can lead into this. And I think we often see scenarios where people have a lot of shares in their company, but they don't have much else. So you've accumulated shares over the years They've grown, you've only seen it go in one way. So it becomes very uh, attractive to continue to keep those shares. And the problem with that is it means that often they're not using very tax efficient allowances along the way, such as ISAs and pensions, where there's some great benefits to have. But also, you can definitely become overexposed to one company. So, James, I wonder if you've got any examples of that or you, you've seen that happen in the past. Definitely. It's a really good point to, to make, Ben. So the, the example I always use of clients is, is the BlackBerry share price. And when I was in my late teens, um, owning a BlackBerry was, was the cool thing to have. And I know I'm showing my age now. Um, but BlackBerry was a phone that everyone had. It was going to take over the, the phone world. Um, and yeah, me and all, all my friends own Blackberries. In, in 2007, 2008, the, the share price doubled in over 12 months and peaked in around the summer of 2008. And then after the financial crash, um, it tanked 70% in, in two months. Um, obviously, people in a share scheme, massive shock to them as they only really see the share price going up. Um, and then since then, we're now, what, 13 years later? The share price has never recovered and is now $12 a share. And me, nor none of my mates, own a BlackBerry. Um, and the point of that is, is that established companies now may not be established in five years' time. And going back to my earlier comment around no one having a crystal ball and no one knows what the future is uh, going to, to bring. So utilising those allowances, such as your ISO allowances and pension allowances, is, is really important. I think it's really important to stress that we are talking on a podcast that's about financial freedom. And to James's point, you, you might be part of a share scheme that just goes bananas and you might see your shares go up sometimes as much as 10 times in a year. And that is really infectious. And it, it becomes something that you get so invested in and, and you almost become emotionally attached to the performance of this company. But as James said, it, it can go the other way. And just holding one company share is a very, very risky way to try and secure your financial freedom. So 
any good financial planner or, or wealth manager should always talk about diversification and, and not having all your eggs in one basket. Um, it's very overused terminology in, in our industry, but for good reason. So making sure you're you're looking at that and looking at your full wealth and, and looking at the exposure and making sure it fits your own attitude to risk is, is really, really important. Exactly. And the point I really stress with clients is it's your own goals that really matter. And if, if you talk to a financial planner and say, in 30 years time, I want to have X, Y, Z, you may be in a position now to make that secure. So regardless of if you get the best share price in the world, you're in a position to secure your own future. And that really is the important thing. Absolutely. Um, so a couple more topics I just want to tie in before we finish up. Um, Jess, tax returns. When do people need to start filing these? There's loads of different reasons why you'd need to file a tax return. The most common ones, obviously, if you're earning over £100,000, if you've got other sources of income outside of PAYE, um, rental properties, um, self-employment income, etc. But with regards to share schemes, a lot of the time when your shares vest, that value can push you into that 100k limit or over that 100k limit. Um, so you would need to file a tax return anyway at that point in time with regards to the disposals of your shares so if you make a capital disposal um, and you you need to report the gain for one of two reasons or in one of two criteria apply number one that's if your gain is over and above your annual exemption so that is again if your gain is over £12,300 for the 1920 tax year but also if you're um proceeds that you receive from your sale are four times the annual exemption then you also need to report that disposal on your self-assessment tax return and we would do all of that working out for you um, and just to let you know the capital gains tax is payable so whatever year you dispose of your shares the capital gains tax is payable by the 31st of January following the end of the tax year so any disposals in 2021 the current tax year, the capital gains tax is due and must be fully paid to HMRC by the 31st of January 2022. Absolutely. And actually, by the time this goes out, we're going to be um, in the new tax year, just about. Um, so, so we'll You're be allowed in... to reset. <laughs> exactly. So you'll have another allowance to take advantage of. What fun. Um, exactly. <laughs> um, one piece of work we're doing at the moment um, for, for a lot of our clients is looking at losses. So... Losses can come in lots of different forms, but they are very useful. I wonder whether you can just give a couple of examples of those, James. Definitely. So capital gains losses is um, the, the big one, I think. So going back to Jess's example of when you pay capital gains tax, and that's on the difference between what you eventually sell a share at and when you actually acquire the share. If you sell the shares for an amount lower than what you bought the shares for, that then generates something called a capital loss. And now that can be offset against any other capital disposals you make in the future, such as share sales, property sales, uh, and other assets similar to that. Absolutely. Well, I think we've covered um, so much. And as I said, we could have gone on for much longer here. Um, conscious of time. So, so Jess, give me one last tip that our listeners can take away with them. Um, I think my top tip would be, which is, you know, mainly why I love my job so much is that share schemes aren't straightforward, but they also have so many benefits and offer so much flexibility. And 
I think by taking a bit of advice or just looking a little bit deeper into what your financial goals are and what you're looking to do with your scheme and, you know, engaging a tax advisor's help can really, you know, accentuate the value that you're going to get from your scheme. That would be my kind of top tip. Top tip for me is really approach the share scheme um, with your own goals in mind. Be efficient. There's so many ways you can be efficient and diversify your wealth to secure your, your future. Well, I, I was going to do a bit of a summary there, but I think you, you summed that up really nicely, guys. Um, so there, there was obviously a lot we covered. And I think it's really important just to reiterate that if you are finding yourself in a muddle, just find as much information as you can and speak to a tax advisor or speak to a financial planner, preferably speak to both and make sure that you're using your allowances, make sure you're um, looking at how this all fits in, as James said, to your your overall wealth and continue to plan. And, and don't be afraid of these things. I think so often when it comes to anything related to money, we see a lot of financial inertia and that's born because people have a lack of clarity or lack of understanding about some, let's face it, pretty technical subjects. So if you don't have the clarity and you don't have the understanding, it means that you probably end up not making decisions, which with share schemes can lead you down some really, um, really difficult paths and, and mean that you're not being as effective as you could be. So thank you for everyone for listening. Jess, James, it was an absolute pleasure and um, so much useful stuff in there. Obviously, there's going to be way more content coming out from us at FLM around share schemes. I know that there's lots of webinars being hosted. Um, James, Jess, do you want to quickly touch on, on some of those that you've been running? Recently hosted a webinar on restricted stock units, ESPPs and share options. Um, really, really useful to all of the people who tune into that. And I know I'll be hosting some more later this year. Um, I'm on a similar vein to James, actually, like I posted a few different webinars, mainly specific to, to certain companies. But of course, as I say, if you've got any questions that are really specific, just just get in touch. Well, thank you, everyone. It was a pleasure to be back. It's nice to have some more freedom in our lives hopefully over the next couple of months. And stay tuned for more podcasts in the coming months. Thank you.